ओम ज्ञान चिरंधस्ञानंजन शलाकाय चक्षुर्मीलिंग service everyone should serve me everyone should be subordinate to me everyone is trying to exploit the atmosphere for their own enjoyment which is calculated as sense enjoyment everyone wants sense enjoyment so it is an atmosphere of exploitation everyone wants to get as much as they can out of this world with putting in as little as they can everyone wants to enjoy him this enjoying spirit is regulated by vedic directions by those who follow vedic directions in the karma kanda section of the vedas in which it is suggested that you enjoy this material world but you perform some pious activities and you can go to the heavenly planets there you can enjoy better so in the karma kanda section of the vedas there are yagyas prescribed so yagya means some sacrifice but in this beginning level karma kanda karma kandya level one performs a sacrifice with the idea that i can exploit better in future i can enjoy better in future so it's hypocritical actually but because people in the mode of exploitation are of very crooked intelligence therefore the vedic directions begin with the karma kanda section do sacrifice sacrifice means you give something you offer something offer something in the fire offer some grains offer some money give away in charity But the idea there the temptation is that you will go to heaven you will enjoy better so that sacrifice that is pandering to the sentiment of exploitation but it is a beginning those who follow the path of karma kanda they are making a beginning there is some sacrifice ultimately in their mind that is meant for exploitation but that is meant to train the person who has got the concept or the motive of exploitation to gradually change that motive to renunciation that first of all one performs activities karma kandya activities meant for elevation to the heavenly planets and then gradually one is induced to perform not sakam karma yoga karma yoga performed for fulfilling one's desire but to perform nishkam karma yoga that you do it simply as a duty you perform karma you perform these activities of karma yoga simply as a duty for the welfare of the universe whatever it may be pious activities without being attached So this is meant 
to gradually lead one to the path of renunciation. To understand that actually this material world is this motive of exploitation. It is not very good. Better we should come to the platform of renunciation. That I don't desire to enjoy anything in this world. Let me renounce. So one comes from Karmakanda to Jnanakanda. From Pravriti Mark, let me enjoy my senses to Nivriti Mark, the path of renunciation. Understanding, Jnan means to understand, actually this material world is miserable. All my attempts to exploit it are simply ending in suffering. So therefore, better I renounce. But there is another platform which is beyond renunciation. Exploitation, that is based on the motive, I shall enjoy my senses. And renunciation, that is based on the motive that I didn't get happy by enjoying my senses, so let me renounce everything and then I'll be happy like that. So actually both the platforms of exploitation and renunciation, they're both based on personal enjoyment, ultimately. There is another platform, which is that of dedication, where one desires nothing for himself, but simply desires to serve Krishna. That is the path of bhakti. Of course, in this material world, we also find dedication. Just like in the modern age, Mother Teresa of Calcutta has become famous for her dedication to the poor people. But this dedication, although it appears to be selfless, is all being enacted within the platform of exploitation. Because the poor people, to help them means to help them to regain their health, get some money so they can exploit as well as others to put them in a healthy position of exploitation, of rejection of Krishna. So this is dedication, but it is a, a useless or misguided dedication. It cannot ha actually help others. To help a poor man to become rich doesn't actually help him, actually may be harming him. Because if he's poor, that means he's working off some bad karma. But if you make him rich, then he'll do more sinful activities and get more bad karma and be worse off in the next life. People don't know. Unless there's basic knowledge of what is our intrinsic position, then all our attempts to exploit, renounce or dedicate all simply end in distress, failure, without understanding our actual position that we are all servants of Krishna. We are meant to serve Krishna selflessly. So this understanding is beyond the exploitation of this material world or even the personally motivated renunciation of this material world which without dedication to Krishna that is also off the mark.
that is also not the proper position. If we renounce everything of this material world, but we don't come to the actual platform of serving Krishna, then we're still criminals, maybe not so bad. Just like we're talking about dedication, so to use a material example, during wartime, young men like yourselves may be called to the army. Recently they were talking that maybe there'll be war between India and Pakistan, so you might have got called to the army if it had come. Once they'd killed all the regular soldiers, then you would be the next line. Give up your books, pick up a gun, go to Kashmir, have a lot of fun getting shot. <laughs> so, if you are called to the army, there are different things you could do. One thing is you could uh, pick up a gun and shoot the chief minister. And shoot so many people in the street and loot their money. That would be grossly criminal. That would be a platform, that would be an absolute violation of your duty to fight, your national duty to fight. That would be highly criminal. Another possibility is that you could simply refuse to fight. I renounce fighting. Then you'll also be punished. It's not as bad as being a gross criminal, but it's also you're not doing your duty. Your renunciation is not proper. And then there's the platform of dedication. Yes, I will fight. Well, this is a material example. We're not necessarily recommending that you fight for the sake of nationalism. But it's just like this. Our duty is to dedicate to Krishna. That is the real position of the soul. So, we can reject Krishna and act in a criminal manner. That means for our own happiness. That I shall try to exploit others, manipulate. I shall get the biggest position. I shall make a comfortable situation for myself, independent of Krishna. So that is a criminal situation. But it's also criminal... Simply, if we don't try to be a big materialist, but we simply renounce this material world, but we don't dedicate to Krishna, that is also sinful. Simply to renounce. Now I am renouncing. But what about your service to Krishna? You may be called, and why are you not joining them? Well, at least I'm not killing people or robbing shops. That's all right, but you're not doing anything grossly bad, but what about your duty to serve? So that is our duty to serve Krishna. That is the platform of dedication. That is our actual position. We are meant for that. We are not meant to be the controllers. We are, in this material world, everyone is trying to be a controller. Everyone is trying to control their situation. Let me enjoy this situation. Let me try to manipulate my situation in such a way that I can enjoy it as best as possible. And this is a criminal activity. In the, from the cosmic point of view, this is a criminal activity. 
that we are not surrendering to Krishna. We are not dedicating to Krishna. So the Vedic literatures give different kinds of directions to help people come to the platform of dedication to Krishna. There's the Karmakanda section of the Vedas which recommend yes, you have this exploitive motive, you do some sacrifices. That will gradually help you to come to the platform of renunciation. And then having come to that platform, you should understand that renunciation in itself is not all in all, but I should dedicate to Krishna. So this is what Krishna wants. We see in Bhagavad Gita that Arjun, he was a good man. And as much as he didn't want to exploit the situation by killing the Kauravas, but he would have preferred to renounce the battle and let others exploit, but I shall renounce. I shall not fight. Why should I try to enjoy? Let others enjoy. But Krishna told him, this is not good enough. For you, simply to renounce is not enough. In fact, if you renounce, simply renounce, but you don't do what I say, that will be dereliction of duty. Your real duty is to serve me, Krishna told Arjuna. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna teaches what is the actual position of the soul, Sarvadhaman, or what it should be. Sarvadhaman Paritya Mamekam Sharnapraja. Simply to fully surrender to Krishna. That is what we are supposed to do. But the Vedic literatures give different directions because not everyone is ready to hear this. But actually that is our duty to surrender to Krishna. And even within devotional life, those who come to the platform of devotion to Krishna, those who understand by the mercy of sadhus and shastra, actually all means the mercy of Krishna, but that manifests through the mercy of sadhus and of shastra. Sadhu doesn't mean uh, there are so many sadhus. Sadhus in this context, real context, means who is a pure devotee of Krishna. So by the mercy of devotees and by the instructions of Shastra, some people can come to understand that actually life is meant for dedication to Krishna. That this life of exploitation actually is not very good. When we're a little bit intelligent, we can understand that I'm trying to exploit others and to some extent I may be able to, but I'm more being exploited by others who are above me. Everyone is exploiting everyone else. There's a chain of exploitation. So this is especially apparent in the modern age, where, just like all of you may be working very hard, what for? So you can get a degree. What for? So you can get a job. What for? So you can work hard like anything. And you'll earn more money, maybe, than the uh, person driving a bus. Maybe. But who is employing you, they are making much more money out of your work than you are making. So you may be in a better position to exploit this material situation than a bus driver. 
But you yourself are being exploited and it's a great shame. You'll find in your office, you're being employed and there is an office manager and he is trying to exploit you to promote his own career. And in the meantime, everyone else, they're also trying to promote their own career. So although in these management books they talk about cooperation and synergy and all these things, actually everyone is just trying to stab everyone else in the back. That is the actual fact. Don't believe all these management courses where they talk about cooperation and all these things. It's all rubbish. Everyone simply wants to further their own career. And if they do cooperate with you, it's only to gain some temporary advantage for themselves. They don't give a damn about you. If you die tomorrow, they, you know, they might say, and that's all. And they'll go on with life. It's a good opportunity for me to advance my career. So this is very apparent in the modern age where its uh, exploitation is gross. Everyone is grossly trying to exploit everyone else. And like I said, sometimes they, may, they bring in these so-called management experts to try and convince you that actually we're all nice and we're all friends and we're all buddies, but actually it's all BS, as they say, which means the dung of male cows expressed in a different way. So... Uh, actually, we're living in a great world of exploitation. So, uh, we can see this. It's not very difficult. People who are a little bit intelligent can understand that it's a great world of exploitation, especially in the modern age. Uh, and some, they, they get into that. Okay. Exploitation, okay, let me, I'll exploit better than others can exploit me. Let me join. Let me join the rat race. I'm a young, healthy rat. So I leave the smaller rats. But others, they become disgusted. I don't want to be a rat. So they take up, if they're fortunate, by the mercy of sadhus and Krishna, if they're fortunate, they may come to this life of Krishna consciousness, which by the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one doesn't have to go through so many different stages of spiritual advancement, but can come immediately to the essence, beyond exploitation, beyond renunciation, immediately come to the essence which is surrender to Krishna, life of dedication. However, different people take to Krishna consciousness in different ways according to their ability to do so, according to their level of surrender, We find that some people, upon taking to Krishna consciousness, they understand. They read some book. They may have some feeling like that already, that this material life is horrible. And especially when they read Prabhupada's books, that may become confirmed. And actually this whole life of struggle, trying to exploit others, being exploited by others, is completely useless. So, let me leave all this. Karina jaibo bane prabeshibo oli la 
His mood has been expressed by Bhaktivinoda Thakur that we should giving up home, family, distinction, all these different things. We will simply go to live in Vrindavan and worship Krishna. Nothing else. Leave everything. Leave everything behind and worship Krishna in Vrindavan. Leave this material world. It is useless. Let me reject it. Let me come to Krishna. So, that is very good. That one should leave everything behind to worship Krishna. However, not everyone who comes to Krishna consciousness is fully ready for that. That they can just leave whatever they are doing and come directly to Krishna. Just give up all involvement in material activities and come to Krishna for various reasons. People may not be able to do that. They may feel, well, I have family responsibilities to discharge. I should do that first. Even we see uh, Prabhupada, our Guru Maharaj, he first came in contact. Of course, he was brought up in a Vaishnava family. But he first came in contact with the strong current of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mercy in the form of his Guru Maharaj, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. When he was just newly married, I think at that time he had a child also, had a young child. So although he immediately accepted that this life of dedication this is the highest truth. At the same time, by social obligation, he was trapped in the world of exploitation. Since he was married, he had some duty there. Of course, even within family life, a devotee, he tries to dedicate himself to Krishna. But he cannot be fully away from that atmosphere of normal, what we call normal society, although in many ways it's abnormal, it's insane. So, one may have certain duties, or one may feel that the platform I am on, I'm just not ready to completely give up all these attachments, that I'm involved in, that I want to take up Krishna consciousness very seriously, but at the same time, one may not be ready for such a, a drastic external change in this situation. So even Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in general, recommended that sthane sita shutikatang tanubang manobi ye prayasham jitititopia pitaistri lokya. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu recommended that whatever situation one may be in, one can stay in that situation and worship Krishna, dedicate himself to Krishna with mind, body and words. And in this way, by developing a, a motive of dedication to Krishna within that situation, 
one can conquer Krishna, who is otherwise unconquerable. However, one has to be very careful if one is in the atmosphere of what we might call ordinary society, in which the atmosphere is one of competition, mutual exploitation. One has to be very careful not to be sucked into that atmosphere because it's very easy. Sangat Sanjayate Kamaha. By association, our desires are manifest. So if we are all the time in that atmosphere of competition, exploitation, it may be very difficult for us to fully develop this mood of bhakti, which means one of dedication. Therefore, this kind of arrangement is very nice, that at least those who are, for one reason or another, involved in that world of exploitation, which is opposite, antithetical to Krishna consciousness, that we come together, associate together, chant together, take prasad together, share their thoughts together. This association based on dedication to Krishna is very powerful because Krishna Bhakti is very powerful. Maya is very powerful. I hope you noticed. If you didn't notice, you're in a lot of trouble. At least we should know Maya is very powerful. If we don't think Maya is very powerful, then we're in a lot of trouble. At least we should recognize Maya is very powerful. But Krishna is more powerful than Maya. And especially Kali Kale Nama Rupe Krishna Avata Nam Hoite Hoi Sarva Jagate Nishta. Especially in this Kali Yoga, Krishna has descended as his holy name. And the holy name of Krishna can deliver the whole universe. What to speak of insignificant beings like ourselves? The holy name of Krishna is so powerful. So, even though our sadhana may be far from perfect, nevertheless, if we have any sincerity, which it's understood, most probably we do have, otherwise why should we chant Hare Krishna? Then Krishna will help us. That is the faith of a devotee. Faith and actually it's a fact. Krishna will help us. But at the same time, we have to understand that all these external engagements that we are involved in, we may do alongside with Krishna Bhakti. But we should understand what the reality of our life is. What is the essence of existence? That the essence of my existence is not to be a company director or a chief engineer or any such thing. Material motives, they're all useless. Whatever we do in material existence, even if you become richer than Bill Gates, which it's highly doubtful all of you together will become even one millionth as rich as Bill Gates. Even if all of you together became one millionth as rich as Bill Gates, you'd be, still be pretty rich. So even if you attain to that position, without Krishna consciousness, it's all useless. 
What is the difference between a, a rickshaw driver without Krishna consciousness and a rich man without Krishna consciousness? What is the difference? Not much. One is driving a rickshaw going to hell and the other is driving a Mercedes car going to hell. That's all. They all end up in the same place. So we should know by associating with devotees, by studying Shastra, especially when we say Shastra, there's a very broad term. But when we say studying Srila Prabhupada's books, that is a very definite term. There are many books, but Prabhupada's books, they're not ordinary books. Because in Prabhupada's books, Prabhupada is preaching to us very strongly. Tamasimaha Jyotir Gamaya. Come out of this darkness. Come to the light. What is that light? Krishna. Don't be enthralled by this material existence. Don't think that we can be successful in exploiting the resources of material nature. Come to Krishna. Dedicate to Krishna. This life of dedication. And that is required. Some devotees also, of course, it's not, nece- it's not necessary that one has to go on directly in the exploitive or the, the land of exploitation. But one can come directly to the life of dedication. One can give his life for serving Krishna, preaching Krishna consciousness. Some people, they want to renounce the world and simply like that, I will go and live in Vrindavan, I will do my bhajan, I will be very happy, I will chant the names of Krishna over and over again. So this life of renunciation of material duties for the sake of concentrating on Krishna, that is all right. But we see that just like in the case of Arjuna, Krishna, he wasn't very satisfied with that. Krishna wanted Arjuna to come to the platform of of not simply renouncing his duties, but rather living in this world and serving Krishna according to Krishna's desires. Arjuna thought, now I am to fight this battle, what for? So that my brother will regain the kingdom, and if he regains the kingdom, I will also be in a good position. So he was thinking, instead of Duryodhana exploiting the situation for his enjoyment, I will fight, and on behalf of my brother Yudhishthir, we shall together take over the situation, and we shall exploit instead. That's what he was thinking. So then he thought, this is not good. Better I renounce that attempt. I will be a good man. I will go to the forest. I will chant Hare Krishna. Krishna told him, no. You have a better thing to do. You fight and get back that kingdom but not for the sake of your exploitation, but for the sake of dedication to me, that you do it in my service. Think of me and fight. Mat karmakrim, mat paramo, mat bhakta sangha All your activities dedicated to me, 
in devotion to me and go back to the world. So that is the best situation. Of course, there are no Kauravas here. There are many persons in the modern world who are in the mood of Duryodhana and company, which is that of trying to exploit and enjoy the material resources. But we don't have a Kurukshetra situation. We have the situation of this being the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sankirtan movement. So it is possible to dedicate one's life in that Sankirtan movement and preach the glories of Krishna. That is the best form of dedication. There is a great need all over the world for people to understand about Krishna. People are suffering because they are thinking, I will be happy (coughs) by exploiting the resources of material nature for my own sense enjoyment. (coughs) But they are not happy. They are suffering. If they simply learn this simple formula that Jeev Krishna Dasa Vishwas Karleta Ardukana that you are not the enjoyer of this material world, you are the servant of Krishna. Just try to understand this point. You are the servant of Krishna. Then all the difficulties which have arisen from your misconception of being the enjoyer of this material world, they will all be dissipated. So this preaching is required. People need to know. Just like you have all come to this Krishna consciousness fairly recently, isn't it? All of us fairly recently. I mean, I'm less than 30 years, which to you might seem like a long time, but it's in eternity, it's not much time at all. So we have all come to this Krishna consciousness because someone has made the effort to propagate that, isn't it? So if you're living in hostels and someone came to the hostel and invited you, please come. And maybe even in the beginning, if, they, if you heard there's a big pot of halava, and you know it's made from pure ghee, you might have thought, well, that's pretty good. I think I'll go. And that could have been our first beginning. But then when we were sitting down waiting for the halibut to be distributed, we heard some pretty good philosophy and we thought, that's true. I should listen more. And then when we listened, we thought, this is really true. Maybe I should find out more about it. And as you found more, out more about it, you found that actually I find here something different. That whatever anyone has ever told me ever since I could remember was all meant either to exploit me or to give me some information on how to exploit others. But here I'm hearing something which is not meant to exploit me. This is actually meant for my real benefit. Therefore, we can understand that who is saying this to me, they have no motive to exploit me. They have come from a different platform, from the platform of dedication to a higher ideal, namely to Krishna. So when we hear this, then we become attracted in a different way to any other form of attraction that we've previously had. In the world of exploitation, we are always being attracted or trying to be attracted by sense objects all the time. 
We should all the time we should hear some music. All the time we should see some movie or look at some beautiful young girl. All the time we should try to give some nice food for the tongue. And even when you're not eating, they've invented pan and tobacco. So it doesn't fill your belly, but you still get some taste on the tongue. So you can keep on enjoying the tongue, even when you're not eating. And now they have chocolates and so many things. So, uh, this is a different kind of attraction. This attraction that is being offered is not from the platform of exploitation. Let me enjoy. I shall enjoy. Let me work hard and get more money. And then I can enjoy better than others. But rather we are attracted to Krishna consciousness. Some attraction is there which is coming from a different platform. You see, even many of these so-called spiritualists, they're also teaching on the platform of exploitation. Just like you'll see, there is one certain gentleman, or at least he promotes himself as looking very gentle. They have a photo of him which is kind of blurred to make him look gentle. He's offering the art of living. Have you seen they have a kind of blurred picture to make him look more soft? So they're teaching you how you can cope better with this material world so you can live in it better so as to enjoy it more. You can enjoy this world. The how to live in this material world in a manner that you can enjoy better. So there, actually there's nothing spiritual. They're simply teaching you how to be a better exploiter of this material world. And he also has his exploitation motive. Because then he becomes famous as a big guru with so many followers and so many people are salaming him. Oh, he's a great leader because he teaches me how to exploit better. But he's also exploiting you. Because he will say, yes, I am the number one guru. They will offer respect to me. So Krishna consciousness, we should always understand this is meant for dedication, not for exploitation. That is the attractiveness of Krishna consciousness. In our Krishna conscious movement, of course, we have big temples, especially in India, we big, big temples, we build big temples. And people think, this is very nice. Let us go and see. It is something nice. We can go and pray to the God. And the God will bless us. How we can enjoy this material world better. We are building big temples to attract people. They will come and think, this is a very prestigious God in this temple. So, this God can bless us better. For enjoying this material world. You see, the foreigners have brought this God. So it must be good. He's blessing them. With all kinds of material enjoyment. So people come and we induce them, please sit down a few minutes and they think, oh, all right, I can, you know, we're going to hear something. So by hearing, I'll get more blessings from the guru on how to exploit this material world better. And then we'll sit down and he'll tell us how we're all rascals and fools for trying to enjoy this material world. 
And uh, possibly we might, some of that might enter our ears and we'll understand, yes, actually I'm a rascal and a fool and I should stop trying to enjoy this material world and surrender to Krishna. So all this dhum-dham, this is all meant for, actually that is meant for the glorification of Krishna. Krishna, though he doesn't have to be glorified by big temples, he can be He's better glorified by the sincere prayers of his devotees. But big temples may be built to attract foolish people to come to Krishna. And it, big temples may also be built to purify the exploitive motive of rich men who want to build a big building to show. You see, I build a big building. So that tendency, if that is dovetailed with Krishna's service, then they can build a big temple. Krishna will be served. And they'll also have the feeling, I build a big temple. But at least instead of building a big brothel, they build a temple for Krishna. So it's better than building a big brothel. Or a big palace for their own sense enjoyment. So this Krishna conscious movement is meant to teach dedication. You can pick up the spirit of dedication which is the essence of this Christian consciousness. Even while practicing bhakti in that world of exploitation. Or one can come fully to Krishna and fully dedicate his life. Let me dedicate my life to giving others knowledge of Krishna. People are suffering for lack of knowledge of Krishna consciousness. Let me Try to help them to come to Krishna. Let me do something to try to help others to come to Krishna. Let me dedicate my life for them. Of course, even in the life of dedication, that means if one becomes a sadhu, brahmachari, whatever, there is also the danger, even in that position, of again becoming affected by the moods of exploitation or renunciation. In the position of a sadhu, one may find, I've come to dedicate my life, so many people are coming to praise me and we may, may become addicted to that praise. Or we may get some position as leader of a temple and as they say, power corrupts. It can happen in sadhu life also. So even in sadhu life one has to be careful. Or one may think that after all this life of always moving among materialistic people is not good, so let me renounce everything and uh, I'll renounce my service to Krishna also and I'll go and live in Vrindavan and be renounced. But in Krishna conscious renunciation doesn't mean to renounce one's service to Krishna. One should fully dedicate. So one should understand what is the essence of Krishna consciousness. That is dedication. Dedication means full surrender to Krishna. Now one may not be able to take that up fully, at least externally. But that mood should be cultivated. Even from the beginning of Krishna consciousness. Even when we first come to Krishna consciousness, this Ideal, we should understand very clearly that our life is meant for dedication to Krishna. We are not taking to Krishna bhakti 
to get some blessings so that we can become a better exploiter. We're not going to, I'm worshipping, I'm now chanting Hare Krishna and I'm praying that by the grace of Krishna I'll be the uh, chief executive of a major corporation by the age I'm 35. We're not praying to Krishna like that. We're not praying to Krishna that any such material thing, that I will get a good job, that we may also do. That Krishna, if you give me a good job, I'll use the money in your service. But actually a devotee doesn't even pray like that. That's also some kind of personal desire. That Krishna, you help me and I'll help you. But Krishna doesn't need our help. That is our imagination. That Krishna needs our help. We need to serve Krishna for our own benefit. But Krishna doesn't need us to serve him. If we get the chance to serve Krishna, that is our good fortune. Krishna, what does he need our service for? He already has Radharani, the gopis, Mother Yashoda, Nanda Maharaj, Arjuna, Bhima, Yudhishthira, Vidura, Uddhava. What are we going to do to serve Krishna? So we should understand that if at all we have the chance to serve Krishna, we're extremely fortunate. We should simply pray for the opportunity to serve Krishna. And that service to Krishna, that should be with uh, this motive, that we are and take any questions. I didn't speak long. The point is there. Changing our consciousness. Krishna consciousness means change of consciousness. Instead of thinking, I should enjoy, simply thinking, how can I serve Krishna to the best of my ability? So, is there any question about this? Please. Your proposition is based on numerable misconceptions. You are saying we are human beings. But the first thing we should learn in Krishna consciousness is that we are not human beings. We are spirit souls. We are eternal servants of Krishna. We are, when we are in a human body, I am thinking I am a human being. When we are in a dog body, we are thinking I am a dog. When we are in a dog body, we think that the main purpose of life is to get some meat to eat. And one nice kuti, <laughs> Mrs. Dog, to cohabit with. Now you are thinking that you need some financial position. First you should have some financial position and then we will be able to worship the God. So we can serve the mankind 
kind are illustrated in that in terms of uh, Krishna, like he is devoting Krishna in some in some way he is benefiting the society. Like if he has a uh, like knowledge, I can impart the knowledge to the society. The benefit. problem with this, I'm sorry to say, is that, uh, like I say, you, you have many misunderstandings of what Krishna consciousness is. You were saying that we can get some money, then we can serve Krishna. No, but it's not like that. Well, that was what you first said, and now you change your position to say that we can help the society, help mankind. But uh, helping mankind, like I was saying, Mother Teresa, she's famous for helping mankind, but she didn't help anyone at all. It's generally understood that she was helping people. But unless we give people knowledge of Krishna, we're not actually helping. There are so many societies for helping mankind. They're all bogus, every one of them. All this, help the poor, help the uh, mentally handicapped, they're not helping them at all. This so-called help is no help at all. Because unless we give people knowledge of Krishna, then they'll have to go on suffering. Someone is poor due to their bad karma. So if we try to alter that, actually we can't alter it. If someone is meant to suffer for being poor, then if you give him a hundred rupees, anyway they'll spend it on, on booze. Uh, but uh, you can't change their karma by giving them money. You can't help anyone. In, in, by giving a, a materialistic person materialistic facility, you don't help them. You simply adjust the way they are suffering in this material world. That's why the first thing we have to learn when we come to understand actual spiritual knowledge is that these bodies are temporary. We are spirit soul. There's no use to help the body. It may appear that we're helping but actually it's no help at all. Real help is to give people the knowledge by which they can become free from the misconception of thinking that we can enjoy this material world. Real help is to give people knowledge that we are servants of Krishna. Without that, any so-called help, it's ultimately useless. Just like someone may be being beaten with wooden sticks, so if you say, I would like to help you, now I'm going to arrange that you get beaten with gold sticks. Is that any help? It's not help. Or we're going, now that you're being beaten with sticks, we're going to give you a medal. 25 years being beaten by sticks. We're going to recognize your great achievement. So like that in the material world, we are simply suffering. And if we try to change our position of suffering or recognize, give someone a medal, he's a great sufferer, recognize his position, or give him some more facility. While he's being beaten with sticks, give him an ice-cold Coca-Cola to drink. Let him enjoy more while he's being beaten. But that is not actual help. This material world is simply suffering. We are suffering repeated birth and death. And any attempt to try to mitigate that suffering without actually stopping it is simply self-deception and deception of others. There's no help to help others to suffer in this material world. You cannot help. It is simply a bluff. You don't believe it. What's your argument? In a way, like, in, like people who are like working for a Krishna conscious are people... But you don't understand what Krishna conscious is. How are you going to say what Krishna conscious is? First you should study and understand. You're trying to put forward some theory talking no, about Krishna consciousness. No, no, I, 
You are, sir. Please excuse me. You are trying to make some proposition based on your knowledge of Krishna consciousness. But if you don't mind, I don't think you've studied what this Krishna consciousness is. So it's better that you study first and then you make some proposition. Just like if you walk into a meeting of scientists and you say, well, in my opinion, we should approach relativity theory in this way. But you only have a very vague idea what relativity theory is. You haven't actually studied it. Then it's not actually proper for you to even make a proposal. First, you should study the subject. Then you should make a proposal. So you have not... Excuse me, sir. You are saying that if we are in Krishna consciousness, we should do Krishna consciousness like this. But you do not know what it is. First, you study what is Bhagavad Gita as it is. Then you please talk about Krishna consciousness. Otherwise... How can we even discuss? It's just like you see in a society, in a meeting of scientists, they won't even discuss what is relativity theory or whatever with people unless they're qualified to speak, who've done the study. So, if you don't mind, before you put forward different theories, you please study this and try to understand what it is. Because at the moment, you think you know something, but actually you haven't studied, so how can you say anything? You haven't read these books. Have you read Prabhupada's books? Yes, but, but not enough to put forward different theories. You first, please try to understand. You inquire what is the actual matter. Then you put forward something. That will be better for you and for others. Don't mind, but at the moment you're putting forward this theory and that theory. But I'm not trying to insult you, but I'm just stating that you, you don't actually know what you're talking about. So please make a thorough study first. Then try to make some proposition. Is there anything else? Hmm. Can we enhance the dedication? Dedication to Krishna is enhanced. There is a process that is called sadhana bhakti. That means to follow the practices of Krishna consciousness in association with devotees who have that Krishna consciousness. Sangat sanjayate kamaha. We associate with others who are in that Krishna consciousness and we follow the process which is given by Krishna to develop that Krishna consciousness. And it will come, depending on our sincerity, Krishna will reciprocate. So the process is very simple. We chant Hare Krishna. Do you chant Hare Krishna? We uh, hear about Krishna regularly from authorized sources. We can study these books of Srila Prabhupada. All these processes are meant for enhancing our mood of dedication and surrender to Krishna. So these processes that we are teaching, not we are teaching, but we are teaching, but on behalf of our parampara acharyas, this is the recommended process for bringing out our natural Krishna consciousness. So please go on with this bhakti and take it up more and more seriously. How can we be more dedicated? Well, that can be, there can be tangible endeavors made to enhance our dedication. Just like for instance, you are chanting Hare Krishna. Now, how many malas are you chanting every day? One. So you can enhance your dedication by doing two. Right? That's more dedication. Now you've dedicated yourself to chant one mala. 
So you enhance your dedication, chant two malas. That's very practical, isn't it? We're not talking about something theoretical. This is very practical. You chant two malas. Whatever we're doing, we can try and increase the quantity and we also have to increase the quality. Dedication, this means actually a state of... Dedication means a state of mind upon which certain activities are enacted. Isn't it? Just like that example of the soldier. Because he has the state of mind, let me give my life to my country. Therefore, he goes charging into the enemy forces, risking his life. Why does he do that? Because he has the motive of dedication. So we should, so dedication is manifest, first of all, in the consciousness and then in activities. So when we say you can increase the dedication by chanting more rounds, that means that you will agree to do that because you have some idea that, yes, I should do this, I should try to dedicate more. So we should try to increase the quality of our dedication by understanding more why I should do this and praying to Krishna that Krishna I want to serve you, I want to surrender to you this dedication it ultimately is not dedication to some uh, amorphous ideal like the nation but dedication means dedication to Krishna who is the supreme person who is our best friend. So dedication to Krishna actually means a very personal exchange with Krishna. So it's not simply a mechanical process that you chant one round, you chant two rounds, you chant four rounds, but it actually means along with the quantity of chanting, also the quality that I want. Dedication means giving ourselves to Krishna. So we should pray to Krishna. When we're chanting, what does that chanting mean? That means calling out to Krishna. Krishna, I'm your servant. Please engage me in your service. Please accept my dedication in your service. So, of course, dedication, that full dedication, that is the ultimate ideal. And as long as we're not fully dedicated to Krishna, in mind, words and body, then we tend to fluctuate. But sometimes we're thinking, let me surrender to Krishna, and then sometimes we think, well, maybe a little later, or maybe I'll just enjoy a little bit of this material world in the meantime. So we always have to enhance our mood of dedication by associating with devotees who are dedicated, who have that strong mood of dedication, and by reading the books of Prabhupada, which strongly encourage us to dedicate, and by praying to Krishna that now Krishna... I've given myself to you. Please take me. Please help me. Please pull me out of this world of mine. It's an ongoing process. We have to constantly surrender to Krishna. And sometimes like that, there'll be fluctuation. Sometimes we'll find ourselves as if maybe floating away from Krishna. And then we feel, oh, Krishna, I'm, I'm losing you. Please bring me back. So there's struggle. In Krishna conscious, there may be struggle to come to Him. But if we're sincere, Krishna will help us. 
That struggle is the test. In material life there's struggle. Everyone is struggling because everyone is trying to exploit everyone else. In spiritual life there's also struggle. That means the internal struggle between Maya and Krishna consciousness. So we always have to pray to Krishna, try to increase the quantity of our Krishna conscious activities, just like go from one mala to two malas, and then try to increase our service to Krishna. In this way, come more and more and more and more and more into Krishna consciousness. Do you like this ideal of dedication? Would you like to be dedicated to Krishna? Would you like to come out of this world of Maya which is simply full of misery and come to the world of love of Krishna? Would you like that? So pursue that ideal. We should have this motive that let me do whatever is required to come to Krishna. That should be our our the, the, the I'm thinking of the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. That it may be a long way. But we can see the light and the road is straight. So we should keep on, even though we're in the world of darkness, we should keep on proceeding towards that light. That should be our aim. No other aim. Let me go towards Krishna. Let me come to that very sweet world of full dedication to Krishna, whatever is required. Along the way there will be so many struggles. But let me keep my eyes fixed. Ongtat Vishnu Paramang Padam Sada Pashanti Suryo Diviva Chakshuratatam. The godly people, they always keep their eyes fixed on the spiritual world, on the lotus feet of Krishna. So that should be our end. Now you've come. Keep on proceeding. Dedicate. Do whatever is required. That is the meaning of dedication. Do whatever is required to come to Krishna. Then there is some other. Yeah. Sir, in the Upanishads, mm-hmm. they say knowledge is divided into two parts. Mm-hmm. One is the lower knowledge and the other is the higher knowledge. Mm-hmm. The lower knowledge comprises of all the scriptures and the higher comprises of when you perceive the truth directly. And they also say that uh, always go... Well, when we say the Upanishads say we should be a little careful because there are various interpretations of the Upanishads and most of them are by impersonalists. But uh, the knowledge in the scriptures that is on different levels. Knowledge on the scripture, of the scriptures is ultimately meant to give us knowledge of Krishna. So it's not that that knowledge of Krishna is to be given up. It's not that, you see, the idea that we may get from this is that that we transcend the knowledge of the Shastra by experience. But the knowledge which is given of Krishna, that is parallel or concomitant with the highest realization. In the Shastra we get knowledge, All the Vedas are meant to give us knowledge of Krishna. So that knowledge is not to be given up. Rather that knowledge is to be required. And experience of Krishna, that is the ultimate goal of, of the Vedas. 
So in Bhagavad Gita also Krishna says, Trigunya Vishaya Veda Nistrigunya Bhavarjuna. That the Vedas mostly deal with subjects in the three modes of material nature. And Krishna tells Arjuna to be transcendental to the three modes. In other words, to be transcendental to that knowledge in the Vedas which deals with material life. But there's also spiritual knowledge which, which culminates in knowledge of Krishna. So that is not to be given up. And of course the Upanishads, they mostly deal with, just like I was saying, with the platform of renunciation. Most of the Vedas, they deal with the platform of exploitation. The Upanishads deal with the platform, mostly deal with the platform of renunciation. But beyond that, there's the platform of dedication. So, on the platform of dedication, it's not simply something to be experienced. Those who are on the Gyanama, they come to the platform of experiencing the impersonal Brahman realization. But in the, in the life of dedication, which transcends not only exploitation and renunciation, no, it, it transcends not only exploitation, but it also transcends renunciation. That is a life of dedication, which is not simply passive experience, but is rather an active life of service to Krishna in spiritual existence. Is that all right? You had more to say? You should be careful. Reading Upanishads, you see, mostly that is translated by... The Upanishads, they're mostly in cryptic language. Do you know what that means, cryptic? It means uh, rather indirect. They don't directly explain. They do, but not always. So that's often inter interpreted in various ways. But then when we come to Gita Upanishad, which is recognized as the essence of all the Upanishads, then everything is very clear. Just like in the Upanishads we have Tamishvaranam Paramam Maheshvaram. He is the Supreme Controller. Who is that? Well, that is explained in Bhagavad Gita. Aham sarvasya prabhu, matas sarvam Again and again in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains that He is the Supreme Lord who is only indirectly indicated in the Upanishads. If you are interested in studying the Upanishads, you might like to read the prayers of the personified Upanishads, which comes in the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, in which the various Upanishads, such as, there are various prominent Upanishads, such as the Shvetashvatra Upanishad, Aitariya Upanishad, all the various Upanishads, they make various prayers to Krishna in their personified forms, in which they state that we have described you indirectly, but actually here you are, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So what is indirectly explained in the Upanishads is directly explained in the Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna. Yadadvaitam Brahmo Upanishadi Tadapyasya Tanubha Yaatnantaryamiya Purusha Itiso Sansadivavaha Shadaishvarya Purno Yaiha Bhagavan Swayamayam Nachaitanya Krishna Jagati Paratattam Paramiha 
That is explained that, actually this is a description of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which is an even deeper knowledge of Krishna, that the Upanishads mostly deal with knowledge of the impersonal Brahma. But that impersonal Brahma, that is his Anga Jyoti. The Anga Jyoti of he who is the Paramatma in everyone's heart, who is the Supreme Personality of Godhead replete with six opulences. So the Upanishads, they mostly direct, they mostly deal with this impersonal Brahma, but that is only the light emanating from the body of the person who is the personality of Godhead. So those who become Brahman realized, they can experience what it means to become merged in that light which is emanating from the body of Narayana. But there is a higher platform. There is a higher platform of taking a spiritual body and directly associating with and serving Narayana Krishna. So that platform is actually much higher than that of simply merging into the impersonal Brahman. But because people, uh, transcendentalists who don't have an understanding of this dedication, they're interested simply in renunciation. They can't see anything higher than this. So for them, there are the Upanishads, but even you have to go beyond the Upanishads. People think this is the highest, but beyond this there is more. Simply to come out of the world of Maya and come to the Brahma Jyoti, that is not all in all. And those who go to the Brahma Jyoti, because they are not in the platform of dedication, what happens to them? What happens is that they, with great difficulty, performing many austerities, they get liberated in that Brahma Jyoti. But how to, how to get that Mukti? Because they, their Buddhi becomes Shuddha their intelligence becomes purified, that means free from sattva rajatama, the three modes of material nature. But the Srimad Bhagavatam describes that that buddhi is shuddha, but is, it is avishuddha. It is not perfectly purified. Because they neglected to, although they became renounced from maya, they neglected to dedicate themselves to Krishna. Therefore they have to fall down again. So, what is indirectly indicated in the Upanishads, those who are on this platform think that I am on the highest platform, because it's higher than any material platform, but they don't have knowledge of the platform beyond simply renunciation. Just like in this material world, it's a minus position. We're in a minus, we're always suffering, birth, death, old age and disease. So to come to the platform of renunciation means to come to the zero position. No more birth and death. But we have to come to the positive position of service to Krishna. Then we are properly situated. Simply to become neutral, zero, that is not the perfection of life. So actually, 
we don't recommend even studying that much of Upanishads because they don't directly indicate what is to be indicated who is Krishna. That is the ultimate goal of all the Vedas. And anyway, they're quite complicated. And uh, where's the, we have to study Gita and Bhagavatam, which directly explain Krishna. And we, we don't have such long lives anyway. So we have to study Gita and Bhagavat and dedicate our lives to Krishna and serve Krishna. So if someone becomes a great scholar, they can study all the Upanishads and Vedas and Ramayana and Puranas. And we hope that at the end of it, they can understand that actually we're supposed to surrender to Krishna. Which you can get simply by studying Bhagavad Gita. Even you may not study Bhagavad Gita. That may not be. If you associate with a devotee, we can tell you, surrender to Krishna. Okay. Then you become the greatest scholar of the Vedas. Of course, to understand what that surrender is and how to do it, one will have to associate with devotees and study these scriptures. But study in itself is not all in all. There are many great scholars. There are many great pundits of Bhagavad Gita. They can recite all the shlokas. Not only from chapter 1, verse 1 to the end of Gita, but they can even recite it backwards. <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily mean that they understood anything. Just like, you know, I can read something in a scientific journal and come and start talking to you about the about uh, you know, quarks and relativity theory and you might think, oh, well, he really knows a lot, but I'd just be bluffing because actually I don't know anything about it at all. So, like that, you can learn the words of Gita, it doesn't mean you understand anything. So simply to mouth it, you can train a parrot also. You can train. <laughs> doesn't mean he understands anything. So, we should study Shastra, but not simply as an academic exercise, but we have to enter into the spirit of it. Otherwise, studying Shastra can again become another matter of exploitation. That means we like to show, Oh, I know so many Shastras, you see, I am superior to you. But when one really understands Shastra, then he thinks, I am inferior to everyone. I am the servant of, I am the servant of everyone. So really we have to understand what is the essence. Otherwise you see so many people will come and say this Shastra means this, that Shastra means that. So many different theories. But actually what is the fact? Then we have to study from Parampara, from realized Acharyas who are experiencing Krishna by dedicating to Krishna. So are you experiencing? Well, I can say yes and you may or may not believe me. I can say no and you may or may not believe me. But you can consider for yourself that after all I've been at least practicing this for some coming on 28 years. So Either I'm getting some material happiness from this or spiritual happiness. Because no one can go on without happiness. 
Everyone wants happiness, one way or the other. So some people try to get happiness by driving cars very fast. Some people try to get happiness by getting a lot of money. There are various ways to get happiness. So it could be postulated that I'm getting happiness because I like to sit in front of people on a big chair and sit above them and think I'm superior. So that's possible, that I'm doing it for that reason. But then again we see that bogus spiritualists, they get revealed in course of time. That Krishna doesn't allow them to go on cheating forever. Especially when they proclaim to be his devotees. He exposes them as bluffers. Sooner or later and usually sooner. So you can wait and see if you like and see uh, or maybe you can put a detective agency and see if I, you know when I go back I'm smoking cigars or something like that or watching blue movies or some such thing or otherwise you might conclude that maybe I'm getting some kind of spiritual happiness from doing this some some spiritual experience so I would hope that, at least I pray that, and pray to Krishna that something, some kind of spiritual experience we have, that I'm not completely bogus and a bluffer, and that Krishna will be kind on me. There should become some kind of experience, isn't it, to continue? At least what I'm talking about is not completely... I think we can conclude even from a platform of, of uh, unattached logical analysis, we conclude that what I'm talking about is not simply some love. Because so many people here have taken up... What I'm talking about, so many people here have taken it up. They have nothing materially to gain from this. That we're telling them you give up meat, fish, eggs, gambling, intoxication. Of course, you may not be doing all of these things, but probably most of you are doing some of these things. Even we're telling you see all young men here, don't chase after the young girls. We're not saying don't get married, but we're saying if you're to do that, do it in a gentlemanly, civilized manner. So, generally, we would think that young men, especially in this modern age, they wouldn't... Why should they take any interest in that? But they're taking it very seriously. They're rising early morning by 4 or 4.30, and every day chanting, every day studying Shastra is not a hobby for them. They're very serious about it. So they must be experiencing something, they must be getting something, which is on a different platform to that of material happiness, because we're telling right out that material happiness is all bogus. And we're not offering something like this so-called art of living, that we're not saying that uh, or, uh, art of living is just one among many, that's just a little bit prominent at the present time. They come and go, all these things. So we're not saying that you chant Hare Krishna and then you'll get more relaxation and then you can have better sex life or any such thing. But rather we're saying that 
you chant Hare Krishna and dedicate yourself to Krishna. And they're doing and they're becoming happy by that. So it would be reasonable to conclude that Krishna consciousness is a genuine experience because it alters the lives of so many people in a manner which we, if we dispassionately examine, we can understand that they've got nothing material to get from this. We're not offering anything material. We're offering a completely different, if you analyze Krishna consciousness, it's completely different to anything of the so many different kinds of bluffing, bluffing notions that go on in the name of spirituality. So why would people take to this? Either they're completely cheated, but then again, what do we have to gain by telling you to give up meat, fish, eggs? I mean, if we were simply trying to attract followers, then we'd, we'd give them some formula, you do some meditation, it will improve your sex life. And we get many followers. Those who say such things, they get many followers. But instead we're saying that ultimately material happiness is all useless. And even if you are to indulge in sex life, that should be only within marriage, that should be controlled. So we're not here on a popularity spree. We're not here for gaining cheap followers. That you can conclude. So, like I say, if I say yes to your question, I'm experienced, you can, it doesn't mean you're going to believe it, but you can examine yourself. You can make some intelligent analysis yourself. And I think it would not be unreasonable to conclude that it's quite possible that I'm talking about something real, not just a bluff. Then the next question comes, are you experiencing it? And if not, why not? Come on, you also come. That's why we're here, to convince you. Come. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. You're meant for experiencing ananda, actual bliss. Utishta, jagrata, prapya, varamna, godata. You know this from the Upanishads. Get up, wake up experience or become aware of the actual boon of human life. Hmm. The knowledge of this kind is more of experiential level, can make the objectively convey to the others or for that matter, understood from the point of intellect. Well, we're just like these lectures, they're being presented to convince us on an intelligent level, isn't it? So yes, that is there also. Ultimately, Krishna consciousness is to be experienced, but it is... Krishna consciousness is also given with all reasoning based on scripture. So we are... What is described in scripture, that describes both on the platform of that which can be ex experienced and understood, with the senses and the intellect, and that which is beyond the mundane senses and intellect. Ultimately, it directs us towards that which is beyond the mundane senses and intellect. That means experience of Krishna, 
my service to Krishna. But at the same time, because we are ultimately the living, every living being has intelligence. Intelligence, one of the facets of intelligence is an ordered manner of thinking. So, Krishna conscious philosophy, that is, it's not simply some wild, speculative sentiments, but rather it corresponds with reality as we can observe it and also brings us to knowledge of reality beyond that which is immediately observable. For instance, we find in Bhagavad Gita that Lord Krishna teaches, he starts off Bhagavad Gita with a very plausible example. Krishna explains that there is Dehi and Deha. That this is Deha, everyone can see. But that there is Dehi, or the soul that is the owner of the body, we cannot directly see. But we do observe that bodies are changing from childhood to middle age to old age. That we observe. We also observe that the person, even though the body changes, the person remains the same. In other words, if your mother sees you, she will recognize when you are born, you don't look the same as now. You didn't have a mustache, for instance. You are not big like this. But your mother recognizes that is the same person. Even if you were to go away, say you were to go away to America for five years, when you came back, even if you had grown a full beard, your mother would recognize you, isn't it? Now the body will have changed, but the person is the same. The difference between a, a newly born body and a very old body is a vast difference, but it's the same person. So what stays the same while the body is changing, that is the person, that is the soul. So Krishna very reasonably explains in Bhagavad Gita that although the body is changing from childhood to boyhood to youth, the person or the soul stays the same and that when the body dies, actually the person remains, because the person has remained the same throughout, that is unchanging, that is the body is changing, but the soul is avikari. It does not change. So, Krishna very reasonably explains that the person has not changed, only the body has changed. So, death or the death of the body is actually only another bodily change and that the person or the soul leaves the body and enters another body. So, this is not unreasonable. Krishna also explains in Bhagavad Gita that we give up bodies just like a person gives up clothes. When your clothes get old, you change them. But you are the same, the same body within the clothes. So in the same way, when the body becomes old, then the body is changed. The soul gets a new body. And Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita that this world is full of suffering. Why? because it is full of birth, death, old age and disease. So these are things we comparatively experience. 
which are described in scripture and scripture gives us methods practical methods for developing krishna consciousness for instance by chanting hari krishna this is given in shastra and if we do it we will the method which is given in scripture we chant hari krishna we associate with devotees we follow all these things if we do these things then we will experience how i am becoming purified how i am becoming free from lust and greed and anger and so many things how i am becoming uh, enriched with thoughts of krishna with love of krishna so the scriptures guide us towards a destination which we may not see now but if we follow the direction we will reach it just like you may be on a ship in the sea and the captain gives direction you follow this to you see this is the compass before you go in this direction so we don't know where we're going we're in the ship we just see this vast sea around us but if we follow the experience captain's direction go in this direction or sometimes even if our even if our goal uh, the port that we're sailing towards is due west he may direct us to sail west southwest he may not direct us even directly you may think why or maybe because in west southwest there's a favorable current which will carry us quickly more or less in that direction then again we can change and go in the right. in other words the experienced captain knows how to guide us according to the standard directions and if we follow that then we will reach the point which is back home back to godhead back to krishna so some faith is required when we say faith people think oh faith faith oh i don't believe but faith is required at every step of life just like now you're breathing why are you breathing because you have faith that if you breathe actually we don't even think why we're breathing but we breathe because we have faith that i need air but if someone told us that the the bhopal gas disaster is now again struck baroda then we may want to hold our breaths and run away we have faith that the we haven't done any scientific tests to ascertain whether the air that we are breathing is good for us or not but we have faith similarly if you go to college if you study the you go into the course day 1 maybe you're studying a new course how to do desktop publishing some such thing how to operate macintosh computers or whatever it may be so you go in and when you begin you have no knowledge even when someone looks at a computer for the first time they don't even know how to turn it on so someone shows you do this do that why should you listen because you have some faith he knows what he's talking about and if you have faith in the instructor and do what he says then you can also learn so faith is required to learn